Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here with a quicker episode this week. Once again, we're in a very, very quiet before the D23 storm. And I hope those storms bring each of us the weather that we need to tender our crops. I don't know if that was a very good line, but you get what I'm saying. We all have big expectations on what we're going to learn about the future of Disney and the Disney parks coming very, very soon. It's uh, what, the second weekend of September, so right after Labor Day weekend, 9, 10, 11, I believe is the dates. Don't quote me to that. I mean, why would I have notes in front of me while I'm podcasting? That would be such an amateur move. But we're in yet another pretty quiet week. So let's talk about some of the topics that popped up last week. How about you and I, once again, we just sit on a bench on Main Street and have a conversation about the week that was at the Disneyland Resort. So numero uno on your mindo has got to be El Annual Paso. That's right. The podcast is now bilingual and you can tell because I'm going out of my way to make this easy to say, friend, I understand you're probably really, really worried about the renewal of your annual pass, AKA magic key. Let's make everything as confusing as possible giving things several different names. Is it Fast Pass? Is it Lightning Lane? Is it Genie Plus? Who knows? It's all of those things. But I tell you what it also is, it's frustrating. So the annual pass program is getting ready to hit its one-year tenure. And I know you, you're a psycho. You bought your magic key on the very first day. So you're seeing yourself going, uh, when am I going to get back into the park? What's happening here? Disney had announced that the magic keys would be renewing at the 45-day mark. And now we are under the 45-day mark, not quite to 30 days out from the anniversary, but dangerously getting close. And mum is the word on renewing the magic key, which for so many of you, get you back into the park. When I first started doing this, I was naive. I thought that annual pass holders were mostly people that live, say, from San Diego to San Francisco. But oh no, I was informed they live in Arizona. They live in Utah. They live in Oregon. They live in Washington. They're everywhere. I would say mostly this side of like the Rockies. And by doing this, I've come to learn many different trends on how people use the annual pass program, which is what I'm going to say, because that's what it is. I mean, we're, the key is just like a weird, like post pandemic branding, like, aha, we're going to make it better for you. Insert misery here. So the thing is, is that people want to know what's happening because if you're like me, you hate an uncertain future. If it's bad news, Just tell it to me because bad news, I can always try to find a way to rally around. I can be like, okay, it doesn't work the way that it used to, but I can do this. And then I have peace because I have solved the problem. And that's what I like to do with my career, which is frustrating because this career path that I'm on, it's a lot of very weird (laughs) obstacles. Like, all right, nobody's really uh, paying attention to content this summer. How do you get their attention again? There's no clear way to get there. If there was, I would love to know. And I'm sure it's the same with your career. So when we live a life of all these bizarre obstacles of like, oh, I really want to get promoted maybe, or I I really want to try to, you know, get my family into the bigger house or get my kids into the better school, or how are we going to start making money for retirement? Because the window's closing with so many of those variables in your real life. I can only imagine how frustrating it is to have one of those variables in your entertainment life, right? Like you have plenty of things to worry about 
worrying about when and how your annual pass is going to come back shouldn't be one of them, which gets me into this weird moment of Disney thinks they're Apple. Apple is one of the most conceited corporations that ever exist. They basically walk out on a stage and it's like, what's up? We're Apple. You're going to buy all of our crap. We know you're going to buy it so we can torment you. We can tease you. We can string you along because iPhone. You can't live your life without it. You can't even go to Disneyland now without it. Unless you want to live a third world country experience. It's called Android. But here's the thing. The arrogance of Apple drives me insane. Drives me insane. But it's an abusive relationship that I can't say no to because right now in this office, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, almost a dozen different devices that all do something different for me and my career. So I go, fine, I will take this torture from you, Apple, because uh, you make my career and you always have since the mid 90s. But that same tortured relationship shouldn't be with the company that I spend my entertainment dollars with. And this is where Disney's getting very weird. They keep everything very much private to themselves. They have this idea. We only want to show up when we have good news and we want to scrub out all of the bad news, which I get it. They want to be a positive thing in people's lives. But ultimately what that does is it creates a lot of sort of blind spots in their programming and their messaging and it creates a lot of unneeded anxiety. Like, are you telling me that right now they really do not know what they're doing with their annual pass program? Because if they don't, that's insane. And they should hire a bunch of new people that can get their shit together because we are literally 30 days, almost 30 days out from a huge moment. And a lot of people's just pastime. And your pastime should be your favorite time. It should be an enjoyable time, not a stress out time. This isn't a, a stock that we went in on. And we're like, oh, come on, Rivian. Give me some good news here. Daddy needs some electric car good news to get that Rivian stock looking like Tesla stock so I can retire. It's like this sort of, eh, we'll tell you when we're ready. We'll tell you when we can make it magical. It's not magical when it's a tease and it gets carried on. So... I've been noticing more and more that they keep a lot of things under the hood until they're quote unquote ready to tell us, but it creates a lot of fan anxiety. And what I think ultimately there is a strategy on scarcity mindset. The least you know about something, the more you think about it, the more you think about it, the more you become consumed with it, the more you become consumed about it, the more you're going to become a consumer about it. So I do understand that path. But I have seen with things like Supreme and limited edition things in the art world, whether it's NFTs, posters, collectible vinyl toys, you can only play with people's emotions for so long until eventually they burn out and they just don't have the fight in them anymore or it's not enjoyable anymore. So this game of cat and mouse is a very dangerous game to play. You can have lots and lots of short-term wins but normally, typically, traditionally, over the long haul, it doesn't reward you always. So my theory is this. What have we seen Disney do before with ticket prices, right? Because let's back up a little bit. The last time they were able to really raise prices was at the beginning of 2019. When 2020 came along, 
the pandemic came along. And so if I'm remembering correctly, they weren't able to really get in that good annual price hike. And I'm not going to criticize them for raising prices because clearly they know the game of supply and demand. And when you go to the park, it's crowded. The prices will always go up as long as it's crowded. And it should always go up as long as it's crowded because they have to keep the park at a level of balance so that it costs so much that you're like, oh, that kind of hurt. So you have a good time and you just don't run back tomorrow. I mean, I understand that. I'm not going to criticize them for that because, man, if I could charge more, I would. But this 2022 price hike, I'm assuming is going to be pretty significant because when they relaunched the annual pass program under the new name, they pretty much kept the prices the same. I thought that that was a good move because it would look really bad to come out of a pandemic gouging. Now, a lot of people would have been like, well, hey, they were closed for 400 days. They need to make up for lost time. But I just think they probably waited out and said, let's just go with where we are at and not use this as a moment to get too greedy. We'll get them on the backside, just like all the other major corporations are doing right now. The prices are up on everything. And you know why? Because you didn't spend money in 2020. And all the corporations like, we'll get you. Don't worry. We'll get you. We'll let you stay at home for a year. We'll let you come out of your little turtle shell, poke your little head out and see the sunlight. And then right when you're like, ah, life is back to normal. Here comes raised up prices on everything so we can make back the money we didn't get from you in 2020. So I really do feel like what we're seeing is going to be a significant price hike on the program. And why wouldn't it be? The park is crowded. There is a huge demand for the passes. And Disney's probably like, yo, we're still rolling on 2019 pricing. We got to get out our 2023 pricing. We need to make up for lost time. And we see this narrative happening everywhere from the pump to your utility companies to nearly everything you buy. I went and washed the car. It used to be $5 for 10 minutes. Six. The car wash guy needs another dollar for water for something that he's owned forever. It's just like, it just keeps getting passed down the line, down the line. So what do we know about Disney prices? They announce it early on a Sunday morning. And that day, the prices go up immediately. So why would they be quiet? Why wouldn't they tell us what's happening? I'm going to go out and guess that this is their strategy. You don't announce that you're going to have a sale three days before the sale, because what do you do? You destroy all your sales for those three days. You don't announce a sale a week before you're going to have your annual sale because people just stop shopping. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. we're not going to go to Lululemon this Saturday. We're going to go Thursday when the annual sale kicks off. And I do go to Lululemon because the ABC pant is one of the best things I've ever worn outside of sweet, sweet, rare Japanese denim. So the idea is this. Disney doesn't do sells, but they do adjust the price of their sale and they do it overnight. And they do that because they want to just, I'm assuming clean break, let's get it over with. But also they're not probably looking for like a, a flooding before the prices go up. They just say, all right, this is the new price and you pay it as of today. And I think that the pricing is going to be so significant that that's the silence. And this gets into what I was talking about earlier. Disney doesn't like to deliver bad news, but do you have that friend that just won't tell you that they're not going to the thing with you on Friday? You just go, look, 
it would be so much easier if you just told me on Monday, hey man, I got a busy weekend. I've been spending a lot of time away from the wife and the kids. Like I'm just not going to be able to go to this thing on Friday. But you hit him up on Tuesday. Hey man, you think you're going to go on Friday? Whoop. You don't hear anything. So it gets to be Thursday. And you're like, hey, just, just checking to see if we're still doing this thing tomorrow. Whoop. You don't hear anything. And now you're like, well, now it's Thursday. I might have a hard time getting a bud to go with me. Now I'm in a weird situation because you're just not getting back to me. And guess what? In the process, I'm actually getting mad at you. On Monday, if you've been like, look, man, I've been doing too much. I got to just, I got to, I got to chill. I need a weekend where I don't spend money. I need to be at home with the family. Totally get it. Totally understand. Thanks for letting me know. I got a whole week to find another bud. But when people don't want to tell you bad news and they go so far out of their way, it then becomes quite rude. And it's like, I know that they don't like the negative press and it's Disney. It's supposed to be always happy and joyful. But uh, this space that they're providing, this this dead air where they're not letting people know. And friends, do not trust what you're told in the app. The people that are talking to you on the app and the customer support, they are not the lawmen of Disneyland. They're not the sheriff. They don't wear a badge. They are customer support people reading from a script, getting briefed from lower middle management. And whenever I see somebody do a video or a social media post, show them one of those little bubbles like, aha, I have breaking news. I am Peter Parker, world journalist. Wait a minute. Peter Parker was a photographer. He wasn't necessarily a journalist. Anyways, you get what I'm saying? Like, it's just customer support. Three of us right now could all call the exact same cable company and be like, uh, what's going on with my cable company? And we'd all get different answers. And one of us would probably be able to get a different rate than the other person. So that information you can't trust. There's really no information creating this sort of blackout of conversation. And I think that it just has to be all around. Well, we don't want to let people know how high the prices are going to be. So we'll just spring that on everybody when they're available and then everybody will complain over the span of one day and then it'll just kind of get back to normal that has to be what it is and i just don't think that it's cool i think that entertainment space in your life should be a fun space in your life i think transparency is an important thing to have with your customers if you want to build a long-term like nurturing relationship with them and uh yeah i'm already abused by apple i'm not looking to be abused by another corporation Magic Band Plus has an official date out at Walt Disney World. It will be debuting on July 27th, which is this week. Wow, that happened fast. And we've been told that these will still show up at the Disneyland Resort for the end of the year. But what we haven't seen at the Disneyland Resort is any sort of infrastructure changes. And when Magic Band came out to the East Coast where it premiered, I believe hearing or reading that this was, you know, a billion dollar transformation to go over every hotel room door, uh, every point of cell, every point of entry into the park, uh, literally had to go through nearly every customer experience and incorporate the new technology so that the park could run so efficiently amazing, just holding up your wrist and boom, you pay for it or you get access to wherever you belong. This was something that I really rolled my eyes at. And before I went out to Walt Disney World, I'm like, that place sucks. It's in Florida. There's no way it can be good. No way can it be better than Disneyland. And I'm not going to wear a corporate shackle to walk around and be like, take my money, take my money, take my money. 
But man, oh man, I was wrong about all of those things except for it's not better than Disneyland. Disneyland has a certain magic to it, but man, oh man, do I love going out to the Magic Kingdom. In fact, was planning a trip for 2023 yesterday, and I haven't even done my second trip for 2022 at the end of the fall like I've tried to start doing every year. So the Magic Band was one of those things that really impressed me. I mean... I can't even stop gushing over what a better experience it is at the Magic Kingdom going from point A to point chimpanzee. But you can literally just go wherever you want to go, hold up your wrist, and boom, you're in. The ease of getting into that park, or parks, I should say, is phenomenal compared to the prison that Disneyland and DCA feels like. Walking up to the bars, the line always stops, people like, oh! I'm supposed to have a ticket? Uh, uh, where's my app on my phone? Hold on, let me, I was looking at TikTok. I didn't think about pulling this up. Oh, we don't have a reservation. Like just literally the pitfalls that you get to. It's just like, uh, you're always trying to figure out which gate's going to work. And I've never had that problem at the Magic Kingdom. Granted, I've only been there uh, two trips now, combined of 10 days in the last year, or no, probably more like 15 days in the last year, but uh, it's always been effortless. And when I'm the stupid person in the line, because I don't have a proper reservation or whatever, the customer service, the ease of getting through is just so different, so different than than Disneyland. I mean, the guests that work the gates over there uh, are more like a guest services than just like a toll booth worker. And they really can work with you in a fast way to make sure that whatever you need to happen, happens. Where sometimes I feel like in my beloved Disneyland, they are toll booth workers and they're kind of working against you and kind of cop talking you. Like not really, eh, that doesn't work. Or not really giving the family in front of you the proper information that they need. And it's a very different mindset, but that's a, that's a human thing, not a technology thing. But I think... As a Disneylander who would be very excited about having my home park be that effortless and that smooth, I think we should have our expectations in a different place for Magic Band Plus. And this is primarily on, I have not seen any infrastructure changes whatsoever to our park. So a couple things could happen. Maybe the Magic Band Plus that will be coming out here, maybe it already works with the current system. And maybe this has the chip in it that allows us to do like Apple Pay, for example. So maybe as far as spending money goes, it's just like having an Apple watch or an Apple phone on your wrist. So you can easily go up and just do, you know, contactless. Boom. I want to pay for my Ronto wrap. Boom. I want to pay for my space age cold brew drink. So maybe that part, the point of sale part is already there. Would it already work with the hotel rooms? I doubt it. Does it work with the gates, the turnstiles? I doubt it. I don't think this technology could go with the barcode technology scanning that we currently have. My mind says that's two different things. But how much work would it be to take down one set of turnstiles and over on the far right, for example, of Disneyland, over on the far right of DCA, there would be one area for people that have Magic Band. And then they would put up a sign and then people would get in that line because it was the shortest one. And then they would realize, oh, I need a magic band. I just have this old ticket that I found in my purse. Oh, I was watching TikTok. I didn't pull up my my I didn't pull up my 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 UPC code. That's kind of how I imagine it going. So I think for us, maybe contactless payment 
will be something that we can do with our Magic Band Plus when it comes out later on this year. But I kind of think that the soft rollout for Disneyland might be more experiential stuff, like the Bounty Hunter game that you can do in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Like, I think it kind of might be a little bit more of a toy than a tool. That's how I'm envisioning it, because it seems to me that if Disney World had to do a billion dollar transformation and we're not really seeing any signs of anything happening and it's already July and it's going to happen this year, I would guess that they'll probably want to squeeze it out sometime in October, November, December. Like, I thought, no way, no way will they drop Genie Plus in the middle of the holiday season. Like, they'll just wait for the, the crowds to slow down and they'll do it in January. Oh, no, they lobbed it right in the middle of December. Let's make that extra money those last two weeks. Busiest time of the year at the park. Who cares? We got a new product to sell. So they have been known to just sort of force it into a spot where no no other quarterback could ever throw it in there. Shout out to you, Peyton Manning. But I think that uh, our expectations should be more along the line of a new toy and not a tool. Because a tool takes a lot of preparation, a lot of planning, and I haven't seen that part happen yet. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to make things really, really great. And I think in the long term, it will be one of the greatest things that have ever happened to guest experiences out of Disneyland. In the short term, I think it'll be like, that was cute. In more breaking Disney non-news, the Jungle Cruise water turned pink last week at Disneyland. <gasps> Why would Disney do that? Click here. Simple. Water needs to be treated, especially if it's a non-natural body of water. It needs tons of treatment. You ever see what happens to your pool if your pool guy doesn't show up for a couple of weeks? Friends, once in Long Island, back in my punk rock days, when my band was on tour, uh, and this is the early mid-90s punk rock days, just because I thought it would be funny and it would entertain everybody, while my band was playing... In a backyard in Long Island. And by the way, there were bands that would go on to be huge playing the show. I believe we played with an early version of the band that would become Thursday. Like the band Thursday. Or no, it was the band that would go on to become Taking Back Sunday. I get my days of the week bands confused that I played with in the mid-90s. Yes, I believe it was what would go on to become Taking Back Sunday we were playing with. Anyways... To be an entertainer, because that's what I love to do, uh, I had noticed that the house next to the house that I was playing uh, in the backyard in a yard in Long Island, th their pool was completely covered in green slime because nobody had lived there and the pool hadn't been treated for years. So I told the boys, keep playing. And I walked over to the next door house. The crowd followed me. I disrobed and I jumped through a pool that I can only explain to you. It didn't feel like water going past my skin. You know, when you dive into a pool and you feel that like sleek, you really understand how smooth your skin is when you feel that water just go past you. And you're like, man, my body is so aerodynamic. Well, this was the opposite of that. It was like I had jumped into a jar of petroleum jelly, baby oil. Everything was thick, it was clunky, and as it went past my body, 
it was like it was exfoliating me. It was like the soap with the crunchies in it, which is kind of weird because you're like, oh, did that come out of me or is that from the soap? Anyways, as I swam through it, it was disgusting. And then I jumped out on the other side. I heard a roar of applause and I will still meet people as an adult that claim that they were in that backyard and that they saw me swim through that bucket of you can't do this on television, Nickelodeon. I just said, I don't know, green slime. Simply put, nature hates us, literally hates us. You know what the worst thing that ever happened in nature was? Us, humans. And nature's way of being like, oh, I'm going to mess with you is patio furniture. You got patio furniture? Good luck. You're going to fight your whole life to save that patio furniture till eventually it's too faded, it's too stained, it's too junky. And what do you do? You go buy more patio furniture. And Mother Nature laughs at you and goes, come on, bring it on. What do you got for me this time? Oh, you got hard plastic instead of soft cushions? I'm going to fade it. I'm going to fade it till you hate it. And then you got to go buy more. The Jungle Cruise is not a natural body of water. You ever seen the footage of Harper Golf driving station wagon around it and measuring it out with like a two by four if it turns pink that means that whoever's in control of water at disneyland did their little test beaker one beaker two ph level whoa something weird's happening today shut it down we gotta do this we gotta zap it so that the algae doesn't take over so it doesn't become infested with mosquitoes it's such a non-story it's such a non-story. Guess what Disneyland did today? Their job, they treated the water. Whoa. Why does it turn pink? Probably there is an agent in there so that when it all mixes up, that whoever's administering could go, okay, everything has turned pink. So I can now see what I'm treating the water with has gotten into all areas, but it is designed to dissolve, go back to its natural uh, water color. So whoever's administering the test can go, okay, I've now seen that I've covered my entire property. I got to let it do its thing test my pH levels, boom, 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 we're back to where we need to be. But that's not a fun story. Why would they dye it pink? It's not even Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Why would they do this? Because it's their job. And that just goes to show what a slow news cycle we're in that the Jungle Cruise, having its water treated, became a headline for YouTube videos in a local newspaper. Wow. <laughs> Here's a better headline. Disneyland today did their job. All right, friends, our next story isn't uh, a happy one. So let's get into it. Here lately, we've been seeing a lot more fighting happening inside the Disney parks. Uh, this past one was a pretty huge family brawl that happened in out of all places fantasy land out in the magic kingdom and if you are like me when you watch the video that was shot in toontown i think that was 2019 2018 famously known as the beatdown in toontown you were kind of like whoa i didn't think this was possible at disneyland like the fight went on for so long talking about the beatdown in toontown it went on for so long that it just kept escalating. And if you watch the video over and over again, like I did, like it was the Zabruder film, you would see, wow, like there's just so many levels and the fight would almost end and then it would get back going. And there was the famous quote, I'm going to jail tonight, which by the way, 
I think he did. Uh, and it was just one of those things where like, I didn't think something could get this out of control. My favorite part of the video is uh, the cast member that goes up to a woman and tells her to calm down, which we all know in the history of humanity, in the history of the female race, species, whatever, has telling a woman to calm down ever worked once. I'm going to go with the fun fact of no, it hasn't. But doing their training, walked up to the lady and said, you need to calm down, ma'am. Boom, only got more excited. I think what we can kind of learn from this and what I'm curious about is were there always fights that happened at theme parks because the days are long, the expectations are high, the parks are crowded, things don't go the way that you want to. A lot of people kind of get in this mindset. It's about me. It's not about you. And you can just see where people get agitated. I would be curious to know how many fights happened back in 55, 57, because it's easy to say, well, back then when people went to the parks, they were dressed up. It didn't look like everybody was going to like a basketball game, but that was just kind of the way everybody dressed back then. And even though in the black and white photos, you can look at everybody and they appear to look dressed up like they're going to church. We also know that the 50s wasn't exactly the most polite time for all citizens of Disneyland. There was a lot of things that were accepted back then that would never roll today. So my curiosity is, has there always been fights and violence in theme parks? Or are we now just made more aware of it because people know that if they film it, it's going to explode on the Internet? And we're also all now trained. Oh my God, there's something crazy happening. I shouldn't get involved, but I should film it. That's kind of where I'm at with my mindset. I would say this though, what these fights have sort of alluded to is that I don't think we're as safe in the Disney parks as we feel because I've now seen a handful of fights that have been able to go on for several minutes before any cast members show up and the cast members that do show up just kind of do a hands-off de-escalation of like hey let's calm down and i get it for the little bit of money that they're being paid there is no way they should have to be dealing with this type of stuff worried about their safety taking a punch to the face or having their hair pulled or even worse spit on in times when there's some gnarly stuff that could be transferred so i don't blame the cast members i blame Disney security. I feel like there's cameras everywhere. I feel like I see security guards everywhere. I'm curious why there's not always a small security detail in every land. Now, granted, that's a little bit different in uh, Fantasyland and Magic Kingdom because it's a pretty big land and it has lots of weird shapes to it. But nonetheless, maybe that one you put too. Like, it seems to me it would be very easy to keep a small amount of security guards stationed maybe at each end or in the middle of a land because if I got anything on my radio, I could be anywhere in any land inside of three minutes. They make the parks look way bigger with all the masterful design stuff and I wish we were talking about that this week. But the truth of the matter is, is if I'm in our Tomorrowland, for example, Let's say that my station is around Space Mountain, around the hand sanitizer ball, because that's sort of dead center. You tell me that there's a scuffle over at Buzz Blasters, I can be there in two minutes flat. 
You tell me that there's a fight right outside of Utopia because somebody's arguing about their race time. I can be there in 90 seconds. Fantasyland in our Magic Kingdom, no problem. In Toontown, Toontown, with the Toontown beatdown happened. If I was a security guard or, you know, somebody that can do more than just like, calm down, calm down, like somebody that has a for real presence. Where that fight happened was dead center of Toontown. So it seems to me that somebody had to get radioed in, come from backstage or come from underneath the berm. I just think that Disney and uh, all their money and profiteering should maybe consider that we're in a different mindset now. People have gotten loco after the breako. And I think that maybe just saying we're at a different moment in time with where people are at mentally. And until we can get some of this to calm down, we need to have a small security force in every land. And I know what I'm saying goes against the magic and it's like, Bricky, you're trying to put the TSA into my park, but I would rather this be there than see these fights get this out of control. I mean, there's what, seven, eight lands at Disneyland. So that's 16 people, maybe 24 people, uh, always not backstage, but patrolling, walking around. I mean, you would only have to do this every once in a while. Most of the time you'd be walking around saying hi to people, giving them directions, you know, being a part of the experience. You could be a good neighbor. I mean, the more I talk about it, this sounds like a job I'd love to have because I love authority. I love awkward situations and I love walking around, talking to people, helping them out, having them have a better day. Oh, you guys trying to get to the Matterhorn? Yeah, just go around the Alice corner. Boom. You'll be right there. Have fun right on the fantasy land side. That's what I suggest, sir. You need to step back. I could do it. Easy breezy cover girl. And I'm just curious why someone's not. Because sadly, I do feel like we could be months away from seeing something truly horrific happening inside of the Disney parks. Because there's now been documented proof that things can just happen. People can fight for up to five, six minutes before it gets broken up. And when it does get broken up, it doesn't seem that aggressive. And yeah, we follow along these stories and we realize people get arrested and they get banned for life, but that's not what gets caught on the camera. The amount of people that watch the video and then the amount of people that actually do their homework and read everything is way, way different, I assure you. I'm genuinely concerned that we are all now realizing that we're not as safe in the Disney parks as we once thought that we were. And with the world just becoming a crazier place year by year in a compounding sort of way, I feel like this is something that really needs to get taken care of, that there needs to be more of a active presence that's just currently in every land, always on patrol. Because if anything else, that just calms people down. Don't say anything to them. There's a police officer right over there. Don't say anything to them. There's a security guard right over there. And look, I'm all believe in that everybody deserves a chance to get hired to get a job, but there should be a certain type of physical qualification to have these types of jobs. If you know what I mean, like the security council should look like they are in a age and body to take care of things immediately. Not when they can get around to doing it in the next five or seven minutes. I just hope that something bad doesn't happen, but I feel like it's quite possible. And I also think that no kid should ever go to Disneyland and walk away with the big memory of seeing a family strangers get into an all out brawl while they were waiting to ride the ride. No child 
should ever feel afraid and scared inside of a Disney park. That is something we can at least promise and give to our children that don't feel safe when they go to school. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing I'm taking away from all these fights that I'm seeing out Walt Disney World is this. Disneyland knows how to film them better. The genius that filmed the beat down in Toontown, the fact that they took their camera and turned it 90 degrees into landscape. Mwah! I love you. I love you, you Stanley Kubrick Disneyland Park fan, because you knew to turn the phone sideways. Friends, do you realize that we're getting close to the end days? The world is going to end soon, whether it's going to be a natural disaster caused by climate change or whether it's going to be one of these next pandemics that we can't get out of as fast. It's going to happen soon and you're going to miss 66% of it because it's going to be filmed on a vertical video and you'll go, oh my God, I can feel the Thanos snap coming on. I'm disintegrating, but I have no idea what's happening because it was filmed vertical. What's happening to the left and the right of what I'm seeing? So my big takeaway from this is Disneyland knows how to do everything better, include film fights inside of our park. Friends, last week we spoke a little bit about how the city of Anaheim was thinking about adding on a tax to theme park tickets. This would penalize any event space that would have more than 15,000 guests, which Disneyland would nail that easy. A 2 to $4 one day tax would be added on to tickets, and that could have raised between 55 to $80 million a year for the city of Anaheim. So uh, not a small amount of money, but ultimately the city decided not to do it because it was kind of put together last minute. And they also said, hey, prices are going up on everything. Do we really need to penalize people, you know, squeeze more money out of them? And so ultimately they didn't do it. But I think that what this shows is this. In the absence of the mayor who got taken out of the city of Anaheim for putting his hand in the Angel Stadium cookie jar, I think that it showed that there are some council people that are looking to sort of push back on theme parks and some people that are sort of trying to say, hey, I wasn't with the other administration that would just roll over and play dead for all the big business we have. I want to make sure that they pay their fair share. But ultimately, it looks like people are like, hey, we don't have enough research. This feels pretty thrown in at the very last minute, we should probably do our work here. So good on those people that just didn't do this as a street justice tax that ultimately doesn't affect Disney, it affects you and I. And I do love that they did their work and said, well, maybe we should further research this and think about this in a more broader situation. And also, I love that they just had passion of like, prices are going up on everything. Do we really need to be squeezing this out right now? But the reason why I bring this up is it does show that there is a little bit of a pushback of some folks that run the city of Anaheim that are looking for some street justice against their big partners or in the entertainment space, notably Disney, that they feel like walks all over the town. And I'm not going to completely argue that. But also, if somebody's putting that much money into your city, they probably feel like they have the right to certain amenities, certain privileges. And I'm not going to exactly say that they're wrong. I'm just going to say this with Disneyland forward on the horizon and with the old mayor gone, who would have seemingly did anything he could to get more campaign contributions. It could be an interesting time. If there is a small upheaval, a small uprising that wants to make it hard on Disney to do things, 
because that's exactly why there's that vacant lot that sits on the other side of Harbor where they were going to put in that second garage. They were going to do the sky bridge, bring people in over Harbor. And as I understand, eventually where all of the buses right now come in from the Toy Story parking lot, those buses would have been operating in the bottom of the new parking garage, just like the trams operate in the bottom of the Pixar Pals garage. And so therefore, with all of the buses doing the unloading and offloading in the bottom of the garage, that would then give Disney the ability to claim the bus space that is right outside of uh, Monsters, Inc., right outside of Hollywoodland, like all of that space could have got annexed into park space. Because don't forget, when they filed their permits for DCA, it was a massive, massive permit that they filed for entertainment space. And they ended up building a park that is much, much smaller than that. So I do believe there's a lot of flexibility with how easy it would be to annex parts of Disney's property into entertainment space inside of Disney's California Adventure. So the second parking garage, the lot was built. The plans were there. If that would have happened, how could of DCA transformed into that busing space, which is actually a really big footprint. I mean, that could have easily made, you know, the Hollywood back lot uh, into a real fierce land with a lot of immersion, probably a massive e-ticket, e-ticket and a D-ticket. Like it could have done a lot. And we know that it didn't happen because politics. So it's definitely interesting to see that there was this little pushback. Eventually they balked on it, but you always kind of got to keep your eye on what is the power struggle of the city of Anaheim? How many people are saying we don't need to be walked over? We need to be treated better by Disney. I've already talked about them being in an abusive relationship, but something to keep your eye on because the future of this thing that we love and how it grows and how it transforms does rest in this one little part of the entire system. They can have all the money. They can have all the resources. They can have all the fans, but they have to have the city's approval. Something to always keep our eye on and keep talking about. And friends, our last conversation today, I was expecting something big to come from San Diego Comic-Con. And the first couple of days, the announcements were like animated shorts on Disney+. Plus. Like I was expecting some sort of big entertainment offering. And then it happened. They announced that there would be two more Avengers movies coming. They basically laid out all of the next phase, phase five of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I'm not going to get too much into all that because I don't know how many of you Marvel. But I do think that how much money that this generates and how many characters and how many properties... It really does show that they need to figure out a way to grow Avengers Campus here locally. And over the weekend, I watched a couple of videos and did a little bit more research on what the uh, Avengers Campus looks like over in Paris. And I still feel that it's kind of underwhelming when I think about how big the property is. It looks beautiful. It looks great. Uh, the transitional wall that their Quinjet is sitting on I, they now have to rope it off because kids are running up it and falling off and hurting themselves. And that's just something that's fascinating. I have lately seen kids scale walls and get so high in Galaxy's Edge and the parents just sit there on their phone, let them do it. 
I'm not saying kids are worse behaved today than they were back in 1955. I wasn't around to see it. I'm just saying today I see a lot of wild parenting where parents encourage their kids to jump on the other side of the fence, climb up on something so they can get the perfect photo. Yeah, that's interesting. But the Avengers campuses, in my mind, they do feel like a good place to start, but it does feel like a small offering when we think about how big and how vast this world is that they're creating and the idea of all the movies all the tv shows communicate with each other and it creates a synergy of characters that come and go from one you know uh piece of content to the next from one platform like be able to see you know a character like wanda over on disney plus and then see her in the films as a very significant character like it does really tie it all together and it creates an unbelievable fan experience and really as a creator um, even though I'll know I'll never be able to create my own MCU, I does think I, I, I does think I do think that it shows a blueprint for success. And um, I do a lot of mentoring with freelancers because I've been uh, a freelancer my entire life, and I've interviewed hundreds of the world's most creative people in the world of the arts and entertainment. And I'm always kind of driving into people. You got to come up with a series. You have to come up with like, what are the building blocks for your business? And that building blocks needs to be things that people can understand what they are so that you do more of them and people have an a, a expectation and they show up. Like for me, over on the YouTube channel, there's different types of videos that I do. Probably would be more successful if I always did the same kind of video but I don't ever want to get pigeonholed and have to do the same thing over and over again because I'm crazy. I'm an artist. I love the challenge. But what I do try to do is create different types of content that fit into different buckets so that maybe if you like one, you show up for that, then maybe you might fall in love with me as a creator, my way of seeing things, and you might start tolerating the other ones and then end up liking them. But I do think that the layout for having this big world where everything is connected. I do feel like that there is so much that the smallest creator could learn. You know, literally one person in a bedroom could sort of follow that template and have a great level of success on a much smaller scale than the biggest movie studio in the world with just, you know, all this money and all these big high budget productions. So seeing that there are two more Avengers movies coming, are it's really exciting because it's one of the few things that has really, really lived up to expectations in the last decade. You know, a lot of things we can make an idea of what they will be like, and then we go there and it falls short. Maybe Avengers Campus, for example. But the Avengers movies have always lived up to their expectations. It's one of those things where like, this is so big and so epic. It has such a room to fail and be a disaster and then you consume it and you go, wow, they really saw that through. That was such a great popcorn movie ride. And I just can't believe that they were able to pull that off. That many stars, that many people, that many schedules, that many budgets. Look at how many different animation teams work on bringing all of that together. Like It is truly movie magic. But I feel like the parks haven't completely held up to their end of representing that. When we see what happened over in Paris, you get Web Slingers again, which is a fine ride. I might say that if I never wrote it again, I would be fine. And then they had a transformation of Rock and Roller Coaster into a uh, 
Marvel theme ride. I watched a ride along video of that, a POV video, and I was just like, I don't know, it's just okay. It's nothing compared to what they've done in Epcot with Guardians, which is interesting that it seems that Epcot possibly has the greatest Marvel attraction, but that attraction is the only Disney Marvel attraction that's not inside of an Avengers campus. So it does show that they're capable in the ride atmosphere of of building really great experiences around this brand. They just haven't done it in the lands that it's themed after, which only keeps up hope for me that because Hollywood land is such a disaster, just being 30 miles from Hollywood, that all of that is a placeholder for bigger and better things to come. I would love to see the Avengers campus grow in that direction. And I would also love to see something happen in the e-ticket space where we have a facade, but no attraction. I believe they can do it and I believe that they will do it. And I won't say that Avengers campus is a failure because it's not over. And I would hope to see that it continues to grow and pay tribute to what has been truly monumental, change the face of how this genre of cinema can run for the next 100 years. Like what we have all witnessed and been a part of with the Marvel Cinematic Universe is groundbreaking. This is something that every studio is trying to figure out what's our MCU. How do we do this? How do we make this happen? And I would love to see that same challenge truly be taken on and embodied inside of the Disney parks. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed sitting on the bench, hanging out, looking back on what was a pretty low-key, uneventful week. I didn't even go to Disneyland last week because I think maybe I'm still feeling a little shell shock from riding the Disneyland Railroad. 16 hours and 20 minutes. By the way, if you're not uh, tuned into my YouTube channel and you just find me on the podcast and you're curious how it all worked out, but you're like, no way am I going to go watch a video about this. Well, here are the stats. I was able to get on the Disney Railroad. First guest that got on at um, 8 a.m. last Sunday, and I was able to ride it to midnight. And then I was able to get one more ride in, which is the Sweet Pass, where they essentially go around and shut down all of the train stations. When they go to each one of these train stations, if there is a guest standing in line, they will give them a ride back to Main Street, but nobody is allowed to get off because they're trying not to let guests sprinkle deeper into the park. So the cast members were kind enough to let me do the sweep ride, which then got me to a grand total of 132 rides. That's from station to station. And then a grand total of 33 Grand Circle tours around Walt Disney's original Magic Kingdom. And it was a fun, fun day because it's the train and it's pretty easy on and off. Lots of different people came by and hung out with me. Uh, friends came and brought me snacks and treats so that I wouldn't have to worry about getting off because I only got off three times. And one time was around 10 a.m., I really needed to use the bathroom because I had just downed my Starbucks Trenta and the train stops. I've learned this every other time in Frontierland. So it'll go past Frontierland. I'm sorry, New Orleans Square. It'll go through New Orleans Square, make its regular stop and keep going on lap one. On lap 
Two, because they really are steam engines, it needs to stop, refuel its water supply, and then it can do two more laps. So I started to realize that every other time you have to stop to rewater in New Orleans Square. So around 10 o'clock or so, I was able to time it perfectly with the cast members who are always awesome when I do these things. I was able to time it where I could get off, run by, say hey to Philander, who was there with his family, go use the bathroom as fast as possible, get back on the train and take off. And then I would stay on that train till about two o'clock, two 30 when that train retired for the day. Then I waited out getting on another stadium seating train because if I get on the bench train, they always tell you slide over to the left. So I'm not getting off, which means every time somebody gets in my row, cause I'm just one guy, I would have to slide over to the left, which then means there's no way for me to film my video without either filming around somebody or I can't film into the park. So it was essential that I kept sitting in the stadium seating train. It was also essential to me that I was in the very last cart because if I didn't have an ADA guest next to me, that gave me the ability to be able to shoot with nobody behind me. Try really hard not to make my videos inconvenience anybody else. But I would ride on that train until 1030 at night when it would retire for the day. And then I would end the day on the dreaded bench train. But the bench train wasn't that bad and it did offer a different view and a different perspective, which was greatly needed after already going for 14 hours. That would take me into hour 15 and 16 and I would end the night at about 12, 21, 12, 25 is when we'd pull into Main Street. They would say the train is done for the day. I would walk away with 33 laps, 132 rides, and countless memories of getting to hang out with all kinds of new friends, old friends, friends from outside of my Disney life that just came to take a ride with me. Like it was truly an epic day. And I love days like that. I love a day where you kind of make your own look. You don't know what's going to happen, but that you know if you show up with a creative idea and you put yourself into a place and space to succeed, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do it as long as possible. And if you want to join me, you can. You don't know what's going to happen, but you know something will. And shooting video in a theme park is a lot like I would assume being a fisherman. You pack up all your gear. You go to the fishing hole and you don't know what you're going to catch, but you hope you catch something. And that day I caught so many vibes getting able to see the park as an outsider, even though I was technically inside of it, getting to see people come and go, getting to see the thoroughfares be empty, build, 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 get packed. Nighttime shows slowly dissipate till we did the sweeper ride. And I got to just see the park quiet, even with the music turned off. When you do something different, it offers a different perspective. And it was such a fun and unique way to celebrate Disneyland on its 67th birthday. I have more of these to do. It won't always just be the guy that rides your ride all day long, trying to get even more creative, more challenging with others that I do. But first, I need to make sure that it's worth the extra time. So if the video does well, then it essentially green lights more of these. Just like the MC universe. It was all dependent on the first couple doing well, then they could justify making more. And the same thing with the podcast. I stopped doing the podcast for a while because it didn't seem like anybody cared. I don't make an insane amount of money doing what I'm doing, so I have to rely on customer satisfaction. And when I can't tell that people are excited about things, 
I tend to move on to other things, because as I put it, if I'm not going to get rich, I should at least be happy. And if I can't tell that I'm making people happy, then I need to go do something else. And this was a great day where I actually firsthand got to see people's happiness. And then even though I was in a terrible mood, sitting in and watching the video premiere and seeing everybody kind of get lost and pretend like, oh, what would I do in this situation? How would I accept this challenge? And then congratulate me for doing something completely dumb is everything that I love doing. And I feel honored to be afforded the opportunity to keep dreaming, to keep living, to keep documenting, and to keep taking you with me. Hey friend, I'm so glad we got to sit down on a bench and talk about a pretty quiet week at Disneyland. Even the quiet ones deserve a good talking about.